0: Diving deep into all things Texas, both on and off the field, here's Sean Pendergast and Pro Football Hall of Famer, the General, Sean McClain. Welcome, welcome
1: to Utopia. Welcome in
2: to the, the first mailbag only episode of the Utopia Football Podcast. We are going to be dropping one mailbag episode each week, typically in the middle of the week. We're tweaking and adjusting our podcast schedule with the season coming up. But just know that we are going to three episodes a week. We started that this week. This is the second episode. Of course, later on this week, on Friday, we're going to have a preview of the Colts and the Texans here on the Utopia football podcast. As I welcome you in, I'm Sean Pendergast, one half of Payne and Pendergast in the mornings on Sports Radio 610. Pleased to be joined, as always, by my co-host on this here podcast, the Hall of Famer. He, of course, is the Senior Texans Columnist for SportsRadio610.com. He also writes for GallerySports.com. John McClain, joining me as always. John, how are we doing?
1: Doing great, John. Thank you.
2: Yeah. And, John, we're going, we're going all mailbag on this one, baby. So um, as I should give out the email address off the top. If you're listening to this podcast and you feel like, hey, I want to participate in this, I want my question or my thoughts to show up on the podcast. I want to hear my name, spoken by Sean and John h-o-u mailbag at gmail.com h-o-u mailbag at gmail.com and if you send in a question uh, and it's a good one we'll read it on here i will say for people who've sent some in um, i may be saving a few of them and hoarding a few of them for future podcasts because they may be a little more relevant later on as the season rolls on um, but i've got about uh, nine or ten questions here that john and I are, john and i are going to dig into that are both relevant to the short term here with the Colts coming up and broader questions about the franchise. So John, you ready? I'm always ready, John. All right, let's do this. Uh, we'll start off with Ronald Joubert, who is a loyal, loyal uh, mailbag question sender. Um, he, this is actually about multiple uh, players here, young players on the team. Could you please give me your assessment of expectations for Damian Pierce, Jalen Petrie, and Derek Stingley Jr., and their chances for a breakout year. So, John, let's take each of those one at a time. I know you are a Damian Pierce truther, as the whole city of Houston seems to be. What's a best case and worst case for Damian Pierce in
1: 2022? I know Ron very well. Uh, Ron is a diehard Houston sports fan of all our sports. He used to send weekly to my mailbag in the Chronicle. Ron, we appreciate you doing this. I wrote a column for Gallery Sports that's posted about Pierce, the offensive line, what the running game has to do. You know, they would love for him to do like Dominic Davis, the first rookie to rush for 1,000 yards. He had a little less than 1,100 yards in 03. And Steve Slayton who had 1,200 and something in 08, which is still the rookie records. Considering they have 17 games, Sean, and they don't have a legitimate back behind him. I know they're going to play Rex Burkhead, maybe Dario Gumbwali or Royce Freeman, but he's going to get the bulk of the loan. So I think if he's healthy, I expect him to be over a 1,000 yards and close to 1,200 because we know Pep Hamilton and Lovey Smith want to run the ball.
2: Yeah, I think that's best case. I agree with you on best case. As far as worst case goes for Damian Pierce, John, I don't even think it's a rushing statistic. I think the worst case for Damian Pierce – is we find out that he can't handle the workload that they want to give him because he's never had this kind of workload at Florida, fortunately for the Texans, right? He's got very little tread off of the tire. But as far as worst case goes, I, I don't even think it's a number with Damian Pierce. Like, I don't look at it and go, well, worst case is he averages 3.1 yards per carry or something like that because I wouldn't blame Damian Pierce for that. This has been a bad rushing offense. I would think that everything's breaking down if that's happening. The worst case for me involves his health. How do you feel about worst case for Damian Pierce?
1: Same thing, because if he's healthy, he's going to be good. We've seen enough, even though he had only 11 carries in his two preseason games. every 7.8 yards of carry. We've seen the kind of back he is. I expect big things out of him. Now they're going to start Justin McCray at left guard. It's only a matter of time before Kenyon Green plays because he is a serious butt kicker in the running game. Justin Brett was held out. You know, Laramie Tunsil was held out. So, uh, A.J. can has been the starter from day one of the offseason program. Then Titus Howard, after that failed experiment to move him to left guard, which was asinine, he's back. And I think their offensive line, if they can stay healthy, will be so much better than last season when they started 12 different linemen and that had an effect on the running game and stability up front with a new line coach George Warhop is going to help Damian Pierce and I think the only thing that's going to keep him from being a a breakout player for fantasy players would be some kind of injury maybe it's a serious one of course Sean but if he's in and out of the lineup yeah. for say hamstrings growing anything like that Yep.
2: Um, Let's do the other two rookies real quick, John. Jalen Petrie. Nobody's watched more Jalen Petrie in the media here than you, Sikkim Bears. What's the best case and worst case for Jalen Petrie?
1: Best case for Petrie is they have him around the line of scrimmage like he was at Baylor where he rushes, he covers slot receivers, he plays the run, and he's a candidate for NFL defensive rookie of the year because he's not just out in man or zone coverage. He's doing a lot in the running game. I think he's going to have some impressive stats. Anything that didn't work for him would be if they put him in like too deep coverage and ask him to play zone, which is not something he's used to playing.
2: Yeah. And I think the floor, I I would say worst case for Petrie, John, I think the floor for him is pretty high. Like I don't think the NFL game is going to be too fast for him or too cerebral for him he's a really really smart and athletic kid
1: not many guys come into the nfl who are really talented who played five years in college like he did
2: yeah Derek stingley jr john best case worst case for Derek stingley jr
1: best case third overall pick he stays healthy he starts off on one side and then he starts covering top receivers as he gets some game experience and uh Turns out to be what they would expect. He's not going to be a superstar right away. He'd only had one big year in college, as you know. So I think we'll see him gradually get better. He's going to get beat. Petrie's going to get beat. That's part of the growing pains of being in the NFL. But I expect him to be a candidate for the all-rookie team.
2: And I almost feel like worst case for Stingley is almost like Pierce, John, except the fact that Stingley has actually had injuries the last couple of years. I think the worst case for Stingley is more medical than it is performance based. How about you?
1: I agree. You know, it's, it's kind of scary. He had the Liz Frank injury last year. He was not the same player he was as a freshman and as a freshman, he was so great in that unbeaten national championship team. People said that he could have played in the NFL right then, but that's when he was healthy. I think with any of these guys, if they're in and out of the lineup, because they got a problem with a wheel, that's going to limit their growth.
2: All right. We thank Ron for that question. Next question, John, from Hippolito Ariago, loyal listener to Payne and Pendergast. and. Uh, loyal listener now to the Hit utopia football podcast. Uh, how long do you all believe lovey has as head coach? Is he going to have a short leash like David Cully did?
1: Absolutely not. No way. He could go 0 and 17 and he wouldn't be a one and done. I think Lovey is going to have at least three years. I think this year they want to see improvement. Sean and I both picked him to be 6 and 11. And I think the next year they're going to want to see get him somewhere around nine. And then if he doesn't get him back in the playoffs by that third year, I think he'll be gone afterward.
2: So you think playoffs by 2024 or bust for Lovey Smith, it sounds like?
1: That's what I believe assuming yeah. they continue to show steady improvement this season and next season. And I believe next season they're going to be a playoff contender because all you have to do is win nine games to be a playoff contender. And I think they will be, but then by the following season, they need to be back in the playoffs, if not winning the AFC South.
2: It's going to be interesting to see what the AFC South looks like over the next three years, John. You know, I feel like Tennessee is on a downward trend right now, um, you know, the Colts are a very talented roster, but you can only keep that talent together for so long. They've traded a lot of draft picks the last few years uh, for you know DeForest Buckner and and Carson Wentz and Matt Ryan. And Ryan's an older quarterback who hasn't performed well. You know, Jacksonville and Houston should be looking at this as a real opportunity here over the next couple of years, given how the AFC South is shaping up.
1: You're right about that.
2: I hope so. All right, next question. This is from Luis in Pasadena. Uh, what's your confidence level that the offensive line is fixed enough to where the run game can be average and Davis Mills has at least some time to throw the football?
1: Louise, I don't think the running game is going to be average with Pierce. Maybe wrong, but I think it's going to be a lot better. You know, how well the line plays has to do with how healthy they stay. They had too many guys injured last year or inept or COVID-19, and they had to start 12 different linemen. This year, if they could keep those guys in the lineup for most of the season, I think it's going to show some significant improvement. George Warhop's one of the best line coaches in the NFL. He's their third in three years. His goal is to average 4.5 yards of carry. Texas were the worst in the league, 3.4. But last year, Jacksonville averaged 4.5 with James Robinson missing a lot of games with injuries. And Travis Etienne missing the season because of injuries, they average 4.5. Only five teams average more yards per carry than the Jaguars. So if they can do it, why can't the Texans?
2: Do you think Laramie Tunsil is a Houston Texan two years from now after his contract is up, John?
1: No, I think uh I think he'll be somewhere else because that'd be a lo- whole lot of money. He's yeah. not gonna take a pay cut. I suspect he'd be gone. That's why I thought maybe the Cowboys weren't interested, but uh, it would have been a natural to trade him to Dallas where he could go to a division winner in the playoff team. And uh, But either the Cowboys weren't interested or Nick Casario wasn't interested.
2: All right, Luis, thanks for the question. Also, Hippolito, thanks for the question as well. Uh, next question from Thomas Seifert. Um, this is about Troy Hairston, the rookie fullback, John. Do you think he could possibly be the new version of a former Texan known as the Big Bruiser, Vontae Leach, I I don't remember Vontae (laughs) being called that, but I like it, Um, said if we're looking to play our version of, quote, smash mouth football, then he may just be one part of what we need to do that. What are your feelings on the rookie fullback, like rookie linebacker turned fullback by the Houston Texans?
1: Tommy, we don't know because he's been a defensive player. You know, they played a system up there where he was a linebacker, Defensive end, Lovey Smith said he was tough. He played special teams. He is he he is a bruiser, but Vontae Leach was the best fullback in this organization's history, and he had a great personality. He was one of the leaders, and we don't know enough yet about Hairston. If Lovey Smith and Nick Casario think he can be a great, a good lead blocker. Who uh, excels on special teams? That's good enough for me. Ask his question in a few games.
2: Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, we, you're. I mean, we have nobody of work for him other than a few preseason games as a fullback, and it's really hard to glean anything from from training camp. John, were you at his press conference a week or so ago, Troy Harrison, or did you see his press conference?
1: I read it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I read it, and I I think this. I asked Olivia Smith, "How do you keep a defense from?" Uh lining up against the run every time he comes in because yep. he's not or hasn't been a receiver. And he said he's got good hands and he can catch. He was a really good athlete in college and he's been a good athlete here, which is one reason we've been so impressed with
2: him. the reason I bring it up, John, is he's he, his demeanor is really endearing. If you're a Texan fan who's listening to this podcast and you're, you know, you're looking for some some unknowns or some younger guys to get behind. I would root for this kid. He he was there was an innocence about him in the press conference, John. you could tell he was really nervous. He was breathing heavy. He was so happy to be in the league. He was telling – it was the day after final cuts. So he and Big Heine and Jake Hansen all did press conferences the next day, the three undrafted guys to make it. And I just thought it was fascinating listening to uh, Hairston and, and Kurt Heinish, Big Heine, as we call him on this podcast. It was interesting listening to them talk about how they found out they made the team they found out they made the team basically because of the absence of a phone call at three o'clock that day. You know, just three o'clock was the deadline, and it came and went, and they hadn't gotten a phone call. And he uh, Hairston and Heinisch ran into each other in the hallway, and they're like, "Man, did you get a call?" Like, "No, I didn't get a call. Did you?" No, and they kind of just started hugging each other, <laughs> you know, because they realized, "Holy crap, we made the uh we made the fifty three man roster." It, the, the Troy Hairston was it was a really cool press conference to see because you could really and Heinisch's was the same way, you could really uh, get a feel for guys like that appreciating the opportunity that they're getting.
1: I remember one time with the Oilers when they were training in Angelo State in San Angelo, a player was cut and he wouldn't leave. He just <laughs> wouldn't leave. And they're like, what do we do? We've never had a guy that wouldn't leave. So I think they had to call the cops to get him out of there. <laughs> That's
2: crazy. Was it a veteran or a rookie? Do you remember?
1: Uh, I think it was a uh, – a veteran who had been with other teams, and that was his first camp with the Oilers. But he just said he wasn't going. He's was going to stay there. Now, because the practice squad, some of them can just go to a local motel and wait to see if they get called back, if they clear waivers. But in this case, I remember they did have to call the police.
2: That's wild. Oh, my God. Do you, are you at liberty to say who the player was? Do you remember who it was? I don't
1: remember who the player was. Yeah. As as he was a nobody. And I never paid attention to them till to they told me, and it never made the media. And somebody told me, oh, it might, no, I think it did make the media. And then he disappeared, and nobody ever heard from him again. That's like another player uh, who had a chance to make the team as an undrafted rookie. And back then, Bruce Matthews and Mike Munchak would torture rookies. And one of the things they did, they would bring them in put a, and shave their head or shave things into their head, and when they would walk out of the room, the is all there with cameras and everything to shoot these guys, and this one guy from California had long hair, and he would not let them cut it, and so he ended up quitting rather than getting his hair cut, and he was going to make the team, and he went back to California, never heard from him again.
2: So he quit. It wasn't that Bruce Matthews and Mike Munchak went into whoever the head coach was and says, this kid doesn't have it. He won't. He's too thin skinned. He wants to keep his flowing locks. He just that the dude just walked out. He said, I'm not I'm not in it for this.
1: It's what he did, and had he made the TV, he would have they would have held him down and cut his hair. Now oh, my God. Like John,
2: do you anymore. miss that stuff? Do you miss stuff like I that? It, feels, yeah. it used
1: to be fun. When they'd cut players, we'd be over there talking to them when they walked out, and when they would do things like that, everybody's at the facility. Players come out with arrowheads in the side <laughs> of their head. Back back then was different for hair than it is today, yeah. where a lot of people do funky stuff. Back then, the funkiest thing you might have – was a burr. And today those are commonplaces. And so if they got their head shaved like you, they would come out with something over their head because they were so embarrassed because you didn't see people with their head shaved back then unless they were naturally bald.
2: Yeah, we would, I would have been an outcast in society back then. Me and Telly Savalas, that's it. Kids, look up Telly <laughs> Savalas, It was a uh, an award-winning show named Kojak. That was what uh, you got called if you were bald like that back in the day.
0: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on What's in Your Podcast queue. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
2: All right, let's keep moving here with the uh, mailbag. Again, mailbag at gmail.com. If you're listening and you, you're thinking of things as John and I are talking here, stuff you want uh, John to answer and, and me to give an opinion on, HOUmailbag at gmail.com. Um, this one is from Matthew Kosecki. says, rookies are week one starters. It doesn't feel like anyone has uh, was getting doghoused that didn't deserve it and culture-first veterans were cut in favor of young players. Do you feel like the construction of the roster and the practice squad in conjunction with the depth chart is a product of Lovey Smith levying significantly more personnel power than you would have expected? If so, what would be the biggest takeaway from the stark contrast between Cully and Smith's head coaching responsibilities? So, John, I guess just to net this out, the feeling that Matthew has, and probably other Texan fans do, is well, they sure are doing a lot of things this year in terms of roster construction, treatment of rookies, guys in the dog, a lot of doghouse guys last year, none that I can think of this year. Um, it just feels different. How much of that do you attribute to the difference between the two head coaches?
1: Nick Casario has final say on all personnel. Every player they kept last year was because of Casario. Cully gave his opinion, but Nick had the final say. Nick and Lovey have a Great working relationship. He has a lot of respect for Lovey, but Nick still makes the final decision. Last year, because it was the first year of the massive rebuild, they made a lot of decisions they wouldn't have made if the team was better. This year, the team should be better. How much, we don't know but they kept three undrafted rookies, Big Heine, Jake Hansen, and uh, Troy Harrison, who we talked about, and they kept you know, all their draft picks because they had more draft picks, including two ones and two twos. John Matchy, the third, of course, will be like an extra two next year if he recovers from leukemia like everybody believes he will. So they're, they're younger uh, for a reason because they had more picks, I and mean, they'll be younger next season too. And uh, I think that... Has a lot to do with it more than philosophical changes.
2: Yeah, I do think Lovey being the coach probably it's it's a much more rookie friendly environment. Just because I feel like Lovey's experience, I just feel like Lovey's much more conducive to rookies growing on his watch than than David Culley is. Like Dave, David Culley was in over his head. Um, no disrespect to him, John. Can you remember a season? Well, five
1: rookies last year played pretty well. Five they, draft choices.
2: No, that's fair. That's that's a good point. And that, and along those lines, you know, you're right. Um, 11 rookies on the 53-man roster, right? There's the eight, eight, they had nine draft picks, but one of them's Mechie. So he's on the non-football injury reserve. The other eight draft picks all made the team. And as you pointed out, Heinish, Hansen, and Hairston, the killer H's, um, they uh, they all made the team. Can you remember a season where they've been coming in with this many rookies on the 53-man roster?
1: Oh, I'm gonna name them Triple H. Yeah, triple H. Yes. Yep. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I went over to Big Hiney's locker um, this week, and I was waiting for him to come out, but he was in a meeting. I was going to ask him if he knew the nickname. You had bestowed on him, and if he hadn't heard it, I was going to tell him because Landry Locker said, can't we get rid of that nickname? No. And I said, you can do anything you want on your show, but when I'm here, he's going to be Big Hiney. He's going to be Big Hiney on everything I do all over the country <laughs> and everything I do with Sean guests.
2: That's why I love you, so I wanted
1: to ask him what he thought about it, and you know he's hurt it, because yeah. how could you not? Yeah. But I, I, I love the fact last year they don't need – I don't even know – they didn't bring in many undrafted rookies. They're no. Sure they brought in more, and they kept and they kept three, and they have high hopes for those three guys. I think the biggest contributor is going to be Big Giney, because he made plays in preseason, and he made them behind the line of scrimmage. How many guys did that? If, if Ross Blacklock had done that, he'd still be here.
2: Yep. He'd still be on the team. No doubt. All right. Thank you, Matthew, for the, uh, for the question. Um, Next question, John, this is, I'm just going to say, this is from a lot of people (laughs) to the, uh, to the mailbag, several different, several different versions of the same question, which is um, what is going on with Jack Easterby these days? What is his role in the organization and why is it that he seems to be kind of, I'll say muted compared to the last couple of seasons?
1: If you read my tweets, McLean underscore on underscore NFL, mm-hmm. or if you listen to sports radio, six ten when I'm on, I call it the emasculation of Jack Easterby. He said his football's cut off. He's been neutered. He has not anywhere near the influence he had last year. He's been kicked off the sideline under the booth by lovey Smith. There's a lot of things that he did last year especially involved in the media, he has no say. So now he still has a responsibility as executive vice president or whatever the hell he is for football operations. And there's a lot of things under him, but he can't meddle like he did in the past. And that's good. Yeah. And I'm not exactly sure who's responsible for that, but they saw the light. He was pushing Josh McCown like crazy. I mean, he came so close to getting Josh McCown hired, and had he gotten him hired, McCown would have owed him big time. Now nobody owes him squat. And uh, I think the McNair family, and maybe Casario, who had many these good friends with him from New England, that they found out what Jack Easterby's all about, himself.
2: Mm-hmm is josh mccown i think
1: he'll be gone after this season
2: there you go okay and i think that's the follow-up question that a lot of people have you think he'll be gone after the season's over um do you think josh mccown is out of our lives altogether yet especially if if you think jack easterby's gone after this year and he was the one championing josh mccown uh there's a lot of i know i'm going to say the two words that 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 uh you're going to roll your eyes the national media There's a lot of the national media that still like to mix in Josh McCown's name when they're analyzing the Texans. Do you think he's out of our lives altogether, or is Josh McCown going to show back up on
1: the radar at some point? Is that the ones that had him trading for Mayfield and Jimmy G? Probably so, yeah. Um, First of all, they wanted to hire McCown. They were ready to announce it. They they won't admit it. They lie about it. I know it's true, and they can lie about it all they want. They were going to hire him. Now, Lovey Smith had him in Chicago and Tampa and loves him. And Lovey said that. But McCown went back to Rusk High School, where his oldest son was a quarterback last year, went to Colorado. Now, his other son is the quarterback this year. When he's ready to come to the NFL, he'll get a job. Because when when they were going to hire him, I talked to a lot of people who had covered him, worked with him in his 12 NFL jobs. Every one of them thinks the guy is going to be a great coach. They say he is a tremendous person, but he needs to start at the bottom, not the top. And I can't blame him if Jack Easterby came and said, hey, bud, you want to be the head coach? You and I can win multiple Super Bowls. He's not going to say no. So I think knowing how much love he likes him, if they did hire him here, then people are going to say he's their parent. So I wouldn't hire him here.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That's it. It just feels like a big shadow and it seems like he's a great dude, but um, in, in the eyes of Texan fans, he will have attached himself to the wrong person. If that were to have, if he were to have gotten hired, uh, I think for sure. All right. A couple more, John. Um, and then we will, uh, then we will start to look ahead to, uh, to the Colts in our next edition of this podcast. Um, Joseph. Uh, sent in a, 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 it was a long email with a lot of analysis, but I'm going to net it out here. So it's podcast friendly. Um, But this is looking ahead. So uh, looking ahead to a world where Davis Mills may not be the guy Um, given the failure rate of drafted quarterbacks and given the fluidity with which veteran quarterbacks that are maybe second tier guys are, um, getting moved around these days, even first tier guys. I mean, we saw Russell Wilson and Deshaun Watson get moved. Um, But would you rather if the Texans are in the quarterback market after this year, would you rather they draft a quarterback high in the draft or go with an alternative to a drafted QB, like a Garoppolo or Tua or somebody, uh, you know, in that, Sort of that Tannehill. He used Tannehill as sort of an example, like a reclamation project type thing. What what do you want to see the Texans do after this season if Davis Mills is not the guy?
1: I think how exciting this season would be if Mitchell Trubisky was their quarterback starting against the Colts. Is that what you're talking about? He puts no, Trubis- he has Trubisky's name on here too. I just didn't want to list Oh all my of them. God. <laughs> no, you want that's, let's see. I can put this gently. It's like if you want to have a baby. Do you have a baby or do you adopt a kid? Usually you're going to try to have the baby. To me, you want to draft the quarterback, trust that Nick Casario knows what he's doing, and that Hamilton can develop him next year. Get your quarterback. Get the guy you think is going to be a franchise quarterback. They've never said that Davis Mills is going to be a franchise quarterback quarterback. All they knew when they drafted him is he had some traits that they liked, and at the end of last season, he looked really good with a pathetic running game and a pathetic defense, and he earned the right to be the starter this season. Now, what's going to be weird is what if he plays well but not real well and people in well with a running game and a great defense? Can you go to the Super Bowl with Davis Mills? That's going to be something that everybody's going to be discussing. During the season, Sean, after the season, it would be great for everybody if he was oh. really, really good. And you could use those draft choices for guys like Stingley and Kenyon Green and yep. Jalen Petrie and John the Third.
2: Oh, yeah. Not having to go after a quarterback means you can actually move back with those first round picks and get guy, you know, if you, if you're going for a quarterback, you're not trading, but you're moving up. You're having to bundle those picks to move up. And who knows, depending on who it is you're trying to go get and where you are, John, you might have to dip into the first rounder in 2024 too. You know, it's just, you're right. That's the big swing for this team this year is the development of Davis Mills. If he develops at a rate where Casario feels comfortable with where he's at, it changes everything as far as how they're able to, or how quickly they're able to, to build out this roster. Um, last one, John, And this is a good transition because we're going to talk way more about the Colts in uh, tomorrow's podcast. Um, But Chris is in Atlanta, loyal listener to 610 and to this podcast. And I I like the way he phrases this. It got my attention because it had the word parlay in it. He said, what three sort of game action parlay things would need to happen for you to bet money that the Texans can beat the Colts? In other words, he he cites as an example, three things that must happen. Like not, not an or, this is an and. He said, for example, Pierce 20 plus touches and Matt Ryan throws a pick, and the Texans keep the penalties to a, a minimum, like to a maximum of, say, four penalties. Like, what are the three big non negotiable things in your mind that have to happen for the Texans to pull off the upset?
1: Pierce has to rush for at least 100 yards. Okay. The defense has to get at least five sacks and force at least three turnovers.
2: Okay. Wow. Uh, those are good statistical ones, John. What do you think? Which of those three? Which do you think has the best chance of happening?
1: Oh boy, I'm gonna say Pierce running for a hundred yards because they're gonna run him a lot. And knowing how Lovey Smith and Pep Hamilton want to control the ball, keep help Mills, and then keep the defense fresh. So I'm, I think Pierce is gonna is gonna start with a bang and we're going to see every game a special running back that could be the second-best in franchise history, Aaron Foster. Now, that's saying a lot, but they haven't had a lot of good running backs in no. this organization. No. Nope. Having had a 1,000-yard rusher till, since Carlos had 1,070 and 19, and before that it was Arians last year in 14. So the opportunity is there, and I think they've got – a good chance for that to happen
2: yeah we'll talk a lot more about that in the next edition of the utopia football podcast all right again Mailbag at gmail.com if you listen to this podcast you want your question answered by the hall of famer john mcclain Mailbag at gmail.com and john you got so much stuff going on right now not just this podcast what's what what are the what can the people go look for that you got out there on sports radio 610.com and gallery sports
1: I wrote a column for galleriesports.com that's posted about Damian Pierce and running game and the importance of the needing to be substantially improved over last season. My column on uh, For Sports Radio 610, which will be posted Friday morning, is about pressure on both quarterbacks, Mills and Ryan, for different reasons. And I'll have one tomorrow on Gallery Sports about how important this season is for Lovey Smith an opportunity he never thought he would get, and the and the burden he carries to do well to help open doors for other minority coaches.
2: Yeah, good stuff. All right, so you can find all that, at sportsradio610.com, galleriesports.com, and uh, you can listen to John three times a week with us on Sports Radio 610, 11 o'clock within the loop on Tuesdays, uh, 8 o'clock with me and Seth Payne on Wednesdays, and then Friday at 4 o'clock in the afternoon with Clint Sterner And Ron, the show Hughley and twice a week on Texans radio as well. John, this was fun. Our first mailbag is in the books. First of what will be many. I enjoyed answering those. I enjoyed hearing you answer the questions and chiming in on that with you. Again, H O U Mailbag at gmail.com. That was fun, John.
1: Sean, it is always a pleasure. Thank you. And thank everybody who sent in questions, especially those like ron who i know very well
2: yep the loyal ones out there absolutely you send them in and we will do our best to answer them for you here on the mailbag edition of utopia football podcast we thank figgy fig for getting this podcast to all of you each and every time we drop one of these wouldn't be able to do it without the great figgy fig he is john mcclain the hall of famer i am sean pendergast you can hear me 6 a.m on sports radio six hundred and ten throughout the week monday through friday and Pre-game and post-game on the Texans broadcast as well. Yeah, John, actually, I'll see you uh see you on uh, Sunday in Bud Light Plaza as well, right?
1: I look forward to it. All
2: right, good stuff. So that's John McClain. I am Sean Pendergast. We are out of time. You've been listening to the Utopia football podcast. We will see you tomorrow for a preview of the Colts and the Texans in week one. Until then, have a great day, everybody.